chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we do thank you for your word, and I pray that it would speak your truth into our hearts. I ask you to to use my words and the thoughts in my mind that they would not be my own, God, uh, but instead they would be a light unto your lamp, which is your word that lights up our path. And and I pray, God, that it would speak the truth that each and every one of us came here to hear, that we might leave this place with a deeper sense of your presence than when we came. It is in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. Well, today is, is our second week in our new series that we're calling Presence. And we're focusing on the most important thing that we should be focused on as we head into this holiday season. It's not the food, it's not the gifts, but it's presence. It's being truly present with God and with one another. And I have to say, in just the last week, I've noticed several different things come up. Uh, People have sent me emails, places where this topic is being talked about. And so I trust that it's relevant to a lot of us, something that many of us could use some focus on. Because I don't know about you, but I don't think that most of us set into the busy seasons of our life and say, my goal this Christmas is to be overspent, distracted, overwhelmed, and exhausted by January 1st. Is that what anybody wants to do here? Okay, if you do, you're crazy, but you're probably normal if that's what's going to happen by January 1st. For others of us, you'd say, you know, that's not just the seasonal thing for me. I think that's how I feel all the time. And and if that's you, then I encourage you to go back and, and look at the, the message that we listened to that we had last week. This, this whole series is progressive because we're starting at the beginning of the Bible and we're going to end on Christmas. And, and so you're missing something if you miss it. And so you can go online, get our podcast, listen to the messages. But what we learned last week, and I hope it was a comfort to those of you who are here, is that presence brings order. Specifically, that God's presence brings order to the disordered part of our lives. And I don't just mean in church, but I mean in your home. I mean at work. I mean in your family. I share several times a year the story. I love this story. I read it in a book years ago about Mother Teresa. We've all heard about Mother Teresa. And she lived her life on the streets of Calcutta as a missionary. And if you went to serve with her on those busy streets, she would require you to spend a long period of time in silent prayer before you ever went out. And the reason why why was because she said that if you want to hear the voice of God and the chaos of the streets of Calcutta, you need to start by hearing his voice in the silence. 
And so it encourages me because each and every one of us are here kind of giving God that same time. We're here in church. It's a busy season. And we're listening to his voice here so that we can hear it in the other places of our lives because God's presence brings order. And what we learned last week is that that's the very thing that was broken in the beginning. Not that God left us as people, but that we left him. And that created disorder that we now see in every single area of our lives and in our relationships. But thankfully, that's only the beginning of a very long story. And from that moment in Genesis, God began to prepare the world for his presence to return in its fullness. And that brings us to our reading for today. Now, our reading is, is from the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. And what happened between last week at the very beginning of the first book and the very beginning of this book is basically that the earth became populated with people. And there were numerous examples of the disorder that occurred as a result of God's presence being broken back in the garden. For example, one of the very earliest examples that we see are two of the first sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Remember that story? Cain killed Abel. Anybody who has two sons knows, well, that makes sense. That would be the first one, right? Like, like we see that in the very beginning, in the, in the relationships of family. We see the disorder, and then we see it over and over again. But it doesn't mean God was absent, right? Like, God was there, and he actually spoke to Cain afterwards. And, and what we begin to start to see are the consequences of a disordered life. We start to see the things that happen when you live life apart from God. But the thrust of the story of God's word, and if you haven't read the Bible, you might think it means something different than what I'm about to say. The thrust of the story is not focused on the consequences. It's focused on God. This is the story of God and how in the midst of the consequences, in the midst of the chaos, he is determined to bring order back to it through his presence. And he does this at the very beginning. Uh, there's this story about a man named Abraham. And you have to forgive me. Some of you have heard this many times. Some of you don't know it at all. It's important as we look at where we're going and we missed it between last week and this week. This man by the name of Abraham, he, he was made a promise by God that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. And it was crazy because he was always already beyond childbearing age, all this stuff, but it happened. And, and God said not only would he have so many descendants, but if they were faithful to him, that his presence would be with them, and it would bless them so that they could bless the world. Well, that eventually would become the nation of Israel, this family. And by the end of Genesis, Abraham did have a son. It was, his name was Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a son named Joseph. We got some more sibling rivalry going on. You see a common theme here. Because Joseph wasn't the only son, and he was the favorite son, and he liked to make sure his brothers knew that he was the favorite. And so they threw him in a pit, and then they sold him as a slave. And it's actually a terrible story. But if you don't know it, it ends up with him being sold into slavery in Egypt, and he climbs out of it, and he climbs up the ladder, he becomes the second in command in all of Egypt, and he invites his entire family to come and to live in Egypt during a famine when they had no food where they were living, and they came to live with him, and everything was wonderful. And it kind of seems like the story should end there, but it doesn't. 
and we have to fast forward 400 years because that's how many years occurred between that story and the story we're about to read right now. 400 years, four centuries, and the Egyptian government has basically forgotten about Joseph being at the top, and this nation of Israel are now at the bottom. And they become so populous that the Egyptian government is oppressing them as slaves. It's a terrible time in history to be a Jew. But then came an infant, a little baby boy, a Hebrew boy from the tribe of Levi. And at this moment in history, Hebrew infant children were ordered to be killed by the Pharaoh by being thrown into the Nile River. His mother had a different idea, though. She threw him into the river floating in a basket, and that basket ended up floating by the Pharaoh's daughter, and she thought he was kind of cute. I don't know, it doesn't say that. I just figure babies are cute. And so she takes him out of the water, and it says she raised him in Egyptian royalty, in the midst of Egyptian royalty. And it says in Exodus 2.10 that she named him Moses, this baby boy, saying, say it with me, I drew him out of the water. She named him Moses, which means I drew him out of the water. And what we learn just by his name is that not only does presence bring order, but presence brings calling. Presence brings calling. Presence brings calling out of something, but also into something. We're going to see this pattern play out over and over again. God's presence calling people out of one place, out of one thing, and then into something else. And if you think about it for just a second, you can probably think in your own life, the pattern plays out in yours as well. Like, like if you're married, right, God called you out of singlehood and into marriage. If, if, if you were called to, to, do, to, to change careers, he called you out of one career and into another one. If you've moved, you've been called out of one place and into something else. God calls us out and then in. Where has God done that for you? See, we could see it in the rest of the Bible, and you can even see it in the stories we already talked about. Joseph, right, he was called into slavery, which called him away from his family, but into the place of Egypt. Moses was called out of the water and into the family of the Pharaoh. And, and it might be at this point, the 8 o'clock service got a little excited. I don't know if some of you are a little bit excited about this point, too, because you might think when you walked in, that the best possible thing that God could do right now in your circumstances would to be to call you out of them, to pluck you out. Like, wow, that would be great. Like, God, if you could just call me out of the financial situation that I'm in, that would be wonderful. God, if you could just call me out of the marital conflict that I'm facing, out of my work life, give me a new job, give me a new family, this whole idea of being plucked out. Some of you walked in the door, and that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounded pretty good for Moses, too. It, he, he grew up in royalty. I mean, you think about this. He grew up in royalty at the time when his brothers and sisters were slaves. They were poor. They were oppressed. He seemed to have it made, and yet what we learn in this story is that there is a difference between being called out of something and running away. There's a difference between being called out and running away, and I don't know about you, but when I get excited about God plucking me out of somewhere, it's usually not that I'm excited because I want him to call me out. It's usually because I want to run away, and the problem with running away is where you're from matters and you're going to still be in that new place, whether you like it or not. You've heard it said before, right? You can't run away from your past, 
I don't know about you, but I have, I have a habit. It's a nasty habit that, that wherever I go, this guy named Tom follows me. Every, every single place I go, I look in the mirror, it's the same face. That mirror could be halfway around the world. It's still Tom. It's still me. And it's probably still you no matter where you go. And we see it in the life of Moses. Now, there's lots of parts of Moses' life that you probably heard. This one you might not be familiar with. In Exodus chapter 2, Moses grew up and he witnessed the injustices that his people were experiencing. Check this out in verse 11. One day Moses grew up and he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and one of this is one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. That story, you've heard the stories of Moses, right? You've heard about the burning bush, and you've heard about, you've heard about the Ten Commandments, and you've heard about let my people go, and you've heard about all those things, but that one doesn't preach quite as well, does it? <laughs> like like first-degree murder, premeditated murder. This is a felony that today, if it were to be committed, would land you in prison for life. And Moses did it. He looked at it. It wasn't this fight where he got involved and he's like, stop it. It just went too far. He stood back and he saw this happening. He went, hmm, this is what I'm going to do. He premeditated it. He killed the guy. He buried the guy's body in the sand and he thought nobody saw, but it turns out they did. And not only did somebody see it, but the word got back to the Pharaoh, and he had to run for his life. And he ran to a place called Midian, and that's where he met his wife. And that's where he hoped to live a quiet, secluded life as a simple shepherd running away from his past. See, the story of Moses is a story of rags to riches, and then riches back to rags. And that's where we come into chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and I will see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now you would go and do the same thing too, wouldn't you? You saw something burning and you decided that you wouldn't walk by it, you'd want to go and see it. And if it wasn't burning up, you'd probably stare at it for a little while. But there's more going on here. I said at the last week, I talked about how there's rich symbolism in Scripture. The water at the very beginning of Genesis represented the chaos of life, right? And, and, and what we see here is fire, which represents the presence of God. And you're going to see that in all sorts of different places in Scripture. And, and Acts, after Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes down and it represents God's presence with us, you're going to see fire, tongues of fire that come upon every believer. But right here we see fire and it represents the presence of God. It's a presence that is about to call Moses out. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look at the burning bush, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy 
ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Presence brings calling. Presence brings calling, which begins by Moses being shown by God that he was present in his paths. And I want you to notice something, and this, this never really occurred to me until I was preparing this week for this particular message. God says, I am the God of your ancestors, and, and then Moses hid his face. Now, if you read this story, where is the point where you might be the most afraid? I don't know about you, but for me, it would be when a bush started talking to me. <laughs> like, does anybody here agree with that? Like, like I, you don't need to get any further than that. When a bush starts burning and it says my name, I am going to run away or fall over or something. You don't need to say any more than that. I'm done. I'm scared. Moses isn't, though. Notice that's not the point where he falls on his face in fear. The point where he falls on his face in fear. And the author wants us to see this point. The author's Moses, by the way, is, is this. God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, at that moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Do you know why he was afraid? Because he knew that if God was there when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were around, then surely God was also there when Moses killed that Egyptian. In that moment, he realized that God has been present for everything. And that was the moment where he hid. I know for me, one of the, one of the most foundational truths that, that hit me in the midst of of, of spiritual direction that I did for a number of years was my spiritual director showing me that, that God has been present in every part of my life, even the most sinful parts. That God has been sitting in the room that God has been present with me. In the, and I remember, I mean, it took me months. And I was like, no, 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 no. God wasn't there for that. No, 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 no. God was not present for this, but he was. And he was there for Moses, too, in his darkest moment. And because of that, Moses was afraid to look at God. But here's the thing about being called by God. When God calls you, it's not about you. It's about God, and it's about other people. And so as God is saying these things, and as Moses is afraid, here's how God responds. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Do you see what God does? He turns Moses away from himself and says, look, I see the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And then had to touch something deep inside of Moses, because Moses was so concerned about their suffering that he committed murder. <laughs> Like, he deeply believes that this is wrong as well. He just took it in the wrong way. And so God says, I am concerned too. I've heard about all of it. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a, a land that is the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites is 
reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. How wonderful, right? Like God sees the, the oppression and the injustice, and he hears their pain, and he's prepared to rescue them. He must have this great, wonderful plan. If he can make fire burn a bush, he can blow something up. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be fireworks. There's going to be all sorts of things. What is God going to do? Well, you're going to find out. Verse 10, he says, so go. I am sending you, Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And it doesn't say this, but you can hear it in the rest of the conversation. It's almost like Moses is like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You had me until you said you're going to send me. Like, you're going to send me back where? You're going to send me there? I, I knew I should not have listened to a talking bush. <laughs> I knew that I shouldn't have done that. Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And if you read between the lines, you'll see that the question is not who Moses is. Moses knows who he is. That's the problem. Moses knows exactly who he is. And Moses knows that the only way that he can step foot back into Egypt is at the same time to have to step foot back into his past. And that's a past that in his mind has disqualified him from being called anywhere ever again, let alone back to Egypt. Now I pause there because I wonder, how many of us have a past? How many of you have a past that if God called you back into it, you would say, no way, no way, <laughs> who am I? But see, here's the thing. When God's presence calls you, it's not about you anymore. When you come into a relationship with God and he is sitting in the room with you, it's about God. It's not about you. When you're standing in the middle of a field and a burning bush says your name, you start to ask some pretty deep questions. <laughs> Questions like Moses is asking, who am I? And I almost wonder if God knew the conversation was going to go there, and he wanted it to go there, because here's what happens. He ponders it, and he gives him an answer. He says, who am I? Verse 12, God said, I will be with you. Moses, that's, wait a minute, that's not the question I asked. Who am I? But, but see, God knows that. He says, if you want to know who you are, here's my answer. I will be with you. You want to know who you are? It is a person who is walking in the presence of God. Because see, here's the thing. God says, not only was I with you back then, but I will be with you now. Just like I've always been, just like I was with your ancestors, I will be with you. And not only will I call you to go back into your past, I'm not calling you to live there. I'm calling you there so that I might deliver you from there to a new future. Because, see, here's the thing. Many of them might be a very nice place. Looking for a place to go on vacation. I'm sure it's warmer than Wisconsin. But that is not where God was calling Moses to live. Moses was not called to live that life. He was called to live an infinitely greater life than hiding in the fields of Midian. And here's the truth. You and me are called to a much greater life than hiding from our past as well. 
We are called to a much greater life than that. Moses was called to be used by God to say to the most powerful ruler in the region, let my people go. Do you remember that part? Let my people go. And then he led them there. Moses was called to part the sea. He was called to bring down the Ten Commandments. He was called to deliver an entire generation to the promise that God had been making from the very beginning to be with them. But for any of that to happen, the first thing he needed to do was to be called to go back to Egypt. He had to go back to his past so that he could see that God wanted to deliver him into his future. And God is a God of grace. God is such a God of grace. He's got a focus. He knows where he's going. And he says to Moses, he says, not only will I be with you, but the second half of that verse is this. I will be with you. And then here, I'm going to show you what this is, what's going to happen, is is there's going to be a sign to you that it's me who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. See, God shows him that it's going to be okay. He shows him that he's going to use all of it for his glory, but he doesn't show them all the details in the midst of this moment because, frankly, if he showed Moses all the details, I'm pretty sure Moses would fall right into that burning bush and die. If he said, and here's how we're going to do it. There's going to be plagues and thousands of people complaining because they're hungry and they're going to make this golden calf and there's going to be all of this stuff. He would probably fall over just like if God did the same thing to you. Can you imagine at any point in your life if God came to you and said, I am calling you to great things and here are all the steps it's going to take to get there. Can you imagine what that would look like? You wouldn't believe it. And if you did believe it, then you wouldn't believe that God could carry you through it because you would think about the depth of pain and say, I don't know how I could ever possibly carry on knowing how hard that's going to be. But you probably also wouldn't believe in the joys that God has in store for you. And so Moses said to God, suppose, he's kind of getting open to this, okay? He says, okay, so suppose that I do what you're telling me to do. I'm going to go to the Israelites, And I'm going to say to them that the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And and they're going to ask me, because they should, right? Like, I had questions, they're going to have questions. They're going to say, what's his name? What should I tell them? When they ask me who it is that's sending me, what should I tell them? What is his name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Do you know what the word I am means in Hebrew? It's a verb. Now, it's, it's the verb that's, that's used to derive the, the, the noun for God, which is Yahweh, right? But it's the verb form. And the verb form goes like this, Hayah. And you know what Hayah means? It means I am here. It means I have always been here. It means I have come. It means I am present. And so God says when they ask who I am, tell them where I am. Tell them I am with you. And that's the beginning. It's just the beginning. Because, see, God wasn't just calling Moses. He was calling the whole world back to himself. And on Christmas, remember, this whole series ends on Christmas, it lands on Christmas, it culminates on Christmas. If you feel like there's a
tension still. It's because we haven't made it to Christmas. Because on Christmas, that's when God is going to do for all people what he promised to do through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And that is that he is going to call his son Jesus. To call him away from his past, which for all of eternity has been to be seated at the right hand of the Father, that he may be called into the presence of his people on earth, so that the people on earth may be called back into the presence of God. Why? Because presence brings calling. But you have to go back in order to go forward. And so could you pray with me about that right now? Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, we, we recognize and, and, and understand the, the truth that, that we are, that we all have a past, each and every one of us in this room, a past that, that there are corners of, that there are chapters in, that, that we would just as soon never go back into. And, and for some of us in this room, we've actually, we've actually gone to incredible lengths to be able to move beyond it, to run away from it, that we look at Moses and we see that he moved physically and he changed careers and he let go of a past and relationships and all of those things. And he did so to run away from something that he thought he was so guilty of that it couldn't possibly be forgiven. And Lord God, there are many of us in this room who can actually relate to that kind of a story. And so Lord God is... As we are in your presence, as we are Jesus' people, we bring those places of our lives before you and we ask you desperately to help us to hear your voice. Help us to hear you call our name as you called the name of Moses. It might not be through a burning bush. God, help us to know that you have been with us since before we were even conceived. You knew that 2,000 years ago you died on the cross to pay the punishment, the price for our sins. And you did that 2,000 years before a single one of us in this room would even be born. And you knew every sin we would commit. You knew every dark moment. You knew every shame. You knew every guilt. And you did it anyway. You are God. You actually did it because of those things. Because those things would not stand in the way of your being present with us. Because you love us. And so, God, I pray for each and every one of us who, who feels like we're in the fields of Midian. That not only would we hear your voice, but we would hear your voice calling us to follow you. That we would hear your voice calling us into our past. That we might see your presence in it. That we might see your grace in the midst of it. That we might see your forgiveness. So that we no longer have to carry the guilt and the shame and the pressure that is required to continue to put up the facade. Because God, your presence brings order, not just to the things we do right, but your presence brings order to the things we've done wrong. You will use all of it for your glory. 
And there's no greater way that we see that truth than in this meal that we participate in together in your presence. As we open up our eyes, we are reminded of what happened 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus, you took bread on the night that you would be betrayed, on the night that you would begin your journey to the cross, you took bread with your disciples and you broke it with these men who had a past and you said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, you took the cup of blessing and you gave thanks and you gave it for all to drink and said, take and drink this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. You know what God's promising us through Jesus when he says, remember me? He is promising his presence that as we eat this bread and as we drink from this cup, we are reminded that he made good on both sides of the promise that was made thousands of years ago to the family of Abraham. He was the one that was perfect so that your imperfections may be covered by his blood because we know that his blood is not the stain that lasts forever. It is his life. That's why as we gather in worship, we gather around a cross that is empty because Jesus would not stay on it. And the promise is that neither will you. So don't keep living there and don't run away. But open up your hands as a sign of surrender. If you know the words, you can close your eyes. If you don't, they're up on the screen. As we surrender, we pray. And, and, and we mean these words as we pray the way that Jesus has taught us to. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He invites you, and so do we. Come. Come to the table.